0: And then also you've got notes in your, uh, your bulletin, little fill in the blank. If that helps you follow along, that's great. Um, and I hope that it helps reaffirm whatever uh, God has laid on our hearts today to hear. Uh, just to give you an idea of what's going on here, uh, this is a series called Ghosts of Christmas Past. So again, thanks for, um, to Life Church, is one of the churches uh, here in the U.S. that um, they are blessed with some very creative people, and a number of years ago they created this theme, the orchestration of how the message is presented. Um, but if I tell my own stories, they're me, I'm not taking his stories, the uh, Craig Rochelle stories, in, and pretending they're mine. Uh, if uh, I reorganize these things to, to work best for me and for our church, so just so you know that. Um, but a big thanks to them, because they provide this free of charge to churches and pastors. And it's a wonderful blessing to be able to have these messages um, that everybody can share and, uh, and connect with. But the ghost of Christmas past, I think of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Story, right? Or A Christmas Story, that's the wrong movie, A Christmas Carol. <laughs> and, uh, and the ghost of Christmas past, it just kind of lingers in, his, in Ebenezer Scrooge's life, kind of affecting his present. The intention, of course, is to make his present better. But for you and I during this season, we, uh, we think of what was, don't we? We think of the things that were in the past. Maybe we think of people who are not with us this Christmas season, and that makes us a little sad. Maybe we think of angry fights that we had and we forgot or we pushed to the back of our minds, um, broken relationships, offenses, as we looked at last week, and all of those emotions and things keep bubbling up as if they just happened. And they become painful again. Last week, we talked about overcoming offense, uh, the power of overcoming offense, and how it is so important to focus on these few things, because if we recognize this, uh, it can really help us get over being offended. One is the idea that our life is too short and our calling is too great to live offended. You don't feel good by walking around living offended. You feel miserable. You feel in control, but you feel miserable. (laughs) And the good thing about that is we can have God's help to get over being easily offended. Small little minute things in our life that just kind of tick us off and they just keep compiling and compiling, making us a a callous person who's just always just ready to snap. But then there's also the big things that we really need to, to pay attention to, but then we also need to... Understand that there needs to be some forgiveness and some healing that takes place and that can only happen from God. With his help, we can get over being easily offended. Well, this week, we're gonna look at getting, at overcoming shame. We're gonna look at the topic of shame. I think that we could all agree that we don't like shame. We don't like it. We don't like feeling shameful or being ashamed. We probably all have our own moments where we felt shameful or ashamed. Uh, I'll share a few. I'll be very open and honest with you guys. There was a few moments in my life. This this is where my children listen the best because they know these stories are coming. Um, As a kid, I was once told by my parents not to eat chocolate one evening. It was probably before dinner or, you know, you already had too many, whatever it is. Uh, and guess what? I did it anyway, right? <laughs> and then my dad, I remember this, point blank asks me, did you eat any chocolate? And uh, I said no, of course, with chocolate wafting off of my breath. If I was a cartoon character, there would be like chocolate wafting pictures coming out of my mouth. As I said, no, no. <laughs> I was in double trouble. Not only had I taken what I was told not to take, but I lied about it. And I can't remember, honestly, the consequences except for this deep feeling of shame. (laughs) I don't remember if I was grounded or if I had just a timeout, but I just felt bad. I felt I did feel what is actually healthy, which is guilt. I did feel guilty. And that's not a bad thing. I had taken what wasn't mine and I lied about it. But there comes a point where I did bad gets blurred in a person's mind. And you start to think this, this phrase here, because I did bad, I am bad. Okay. We start to blur the lines between action and identity because I did bad. I am bad. I'm not sure if I've ever said this out loud. Again, this is just me being very open and honest with y'all. If I've ever said this out loud before, but as a kid and even as a teen, I would sneak snacks, okay? Maybe that's not a surprise to you. Uh, I've never been a skinny kid. And uh, I would sneak snacks from the fridge. And if I was caught, eh, I don't know, there wasn't like I put that back. But if I was caught, it would feel... Mortifying, my parents would ask me, what are you doing? What are you eating? And these are valid questions, right? They put the food in the refrigerator. It was their stuff. They, they set the time for when it was time to eat. It wasn't meal time. It wasn't snack time. It was I wanted to eat something and not ask for permission for it. I felt like I had to be sneaky to avoid being asked these questions. Because if they asked me, I'd feel guilty for wanting something. So I'd sneak when I wanted to, to avoid these questions. Maybe that negative thought about myself, I am bad, I've got to sneak to eat what I want when I want it, maybe that contributed to my eating and fitness habits with lack thereof over the years. Now, another time, a non-food related story here, and then we'll get into some scripture here, where my my whole mindset changed. I was staying at a friend's house for the weekend, um, and uh, they lived out in the country, miles and miles and miles away from anybody else. And uh, they had animals, chickens specifically. And uh, one of the interesting things, I, as being a city boy I'd never seen before, was a chicken coop. And you got to go in there, and, and it's the first time I'd ever seen a brown egg. I know that seems strange, but seriously. And so I'd go in there, and we could pick up eggs, and we'd bring them in the house. and We'd have eggs for breakfast the next day. Well, um, I don't know what. Maybe I was just bored at their house. I don't know why. But I, uh, out by their barn, I come across uh, a spray can. You might understand where this is going. I find a spray can, and it's not spray paint per se, but it's kind of like a shellac kind of polish spray. Don't know why it was there, but it was there. And uh, I guess I must have had some resentment against another guy at school just still eating at me in the back of my mind because the only thing I wanted to do with that spray can is spray uh, a negative message about him. I, and, and so what I wanted to write with that spray can was... So-and-so stinks. And no, his name wasn't so-and-so. You're really strange parents, but... And I didn't just spray it on a piece of paper like some angry arts and crafts. (laughs) I sprayed it on the side of their barn. And it showed up, clearly. Well, when my friend's mom, who was caring for me that weekend kind enough to take me into her home. Well, she wasn't happy, let's just say, with my poor choice. How I redecorated the outside of their barn. And I don't remember if she used the expression, shame on you, or you know better. That's basically almost the same thing, by the way. Shame on you. But I sure felt it. I sure felt it. Still to this day, I remember that dumb choice I made and the shame that I felt on that quiet car ride home. So guilt says, I did bad. It's recognizing what you did, what I did, and it was wrong. It's not bad. Guilt is not a bad thing. It's actually healthy. It means that you have a conscience. It means you know right from wrong and you made the wrong choice and then you recognize it. Shame, however, again, blurs that line between action and identity. Shame says, I am bad. I am bad. So we make the connection. We believe that we are bad. Or maybe another word for it in your, con- your circumstances, you feel that you are worthless. It's your identity. You are disgusting, disappointing, unlovable, ugly, smelly, unfriendly, or any other descriptive word that you or I might have to work in our particular situation. It's there. And as we unpack this topic of shame today, I want to begin by encouraging you. I know I maybe said a bunch of discouraging words. We're not in Texas, so there. (laughs) Let's unpack this by being encouraged, because you and I need encouragement, don't we? Last two years have been discouraging and disheartening. I want to encourage you by saying this. No matter what you or I call ourselves, I'm going to bury the lead here, or maybe not. God has a better word to speak over us. No matter what you or I think of ourselves, God has something better to say about us. Well, it begins in Isaiah 54. I'm going to look at verse 4 real quick. And uh, just the first couple parts of that verse. It says this. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced, for you will forget the shame of your youth. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context to the scripture today. If you take a step back from this verse and read the first few verses before it in Isaiah 54, Isaiah is talking to a barren woman. Now, I do air quotes right there because it's actually a double analogy. It's not literally talking to a barren woman, but this topic does because the imagery does actually work. It could and does apply in that context to a barren woman as well as what she represents, the nation she represents, i.e. Israel. So let's back up to verse 1. Verse 1 says this, Sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst in a song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossessed nations and settle in their desolate cities okay that's through verse 3 now we come back to 4 and this is the NIV by the way i've kind of switched over it says do not be afraid you will not be put to shame do not fear disgrace you will not be humiliated you will not you will forget the shame of your youth and then the last part of this verse says and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood, being capable of having children was referred to as a blessing throughout scripture. We see it every time somebody is, is uh, isn 't blessed with that it 's kind of a, a negative, sad thing and we 'll talk about that here in a moment, but some examples of where it 's a blessing, of course psalm one twenty seven verse three. It says children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Many times godly people were unable to conceive and then they were touched by God and were able to have children. But I think we could all recognize that barrenness weighs heavy on a person. For Samuel records a couple named Hannah, excuse me, Hannah and Elkanah, they couldn't have kids. Hannah was cut with grief and sorrow over this. Elkanah's other wife was able to have children, but not Hannah. And I imagine that Hannah had an internal conversation that must have sounded a little bit like this. I'm not enough. I'm worthless. I'm cursed. This feeling attached to the reality of barrenness can carry with it shame. Shame. As if there was something that she did in order to receive that. But the Lord says in Isaiah, "Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated." These are the words that the Lord is speaking over the situation rather than what the person or or nation believes about themselves. So for a barren woman whose identity has been twisted by her circumstances, feeling worthless or in love because she's unable to have children. God says, you will not be put to shame. I've got plans for you. You're not done yet. And certainly, God wasn't done with Hannah. Hannah prayed for a son, and after she gave birth and weaned him, she gave her son Samuel back to the Lord to serve in the temple. That's how we got the book of Samuel and the second one, by the way. But as for Israel... They had a negative self-image that the Lord was also speaking to. And he also said the same message. You will not be put to shame. Connecting these pieces here is Joshua 5. We look at Joshua 5 and we, we jump down to verse 9. It's just a little tidbit here. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal, to this day, just kind of the first piece of that in the New Living Translation says it like this. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the shame, that word reproach, shame, of your slavery in Egypt. Prior to this, there was quite an operation. <laughs> if, if you bothered to look the verses prior to this one here, there was quite an, a literal operation that was going on. Uh, You see, during the wandering in the desert for 40 years, the Israelites hadn't been keeping up with the processes uh, that were ascribed to them and their people. One specific was circumcising newborn sons. This was a practice to represent their set-apartness as a people. And we talk about the circumcision of the heart. It's all throughout the New Testament. And where our heart is devoted to God and we're marked as his people, So in the verses leading up to verse 9, God commands Joshua to circumcise the nation of Israel. Go and do the thing you haven't been doing for a while. Go take care of it. And this reestablished their covenant with God and commitment that they had been neglecting as they wandered in the desert. Their uncircumcision was their shame. And God says, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. It wasn't just their uncircumcised bodies, but their hearts said something else. Their entire people for generations had only known one identity. That was slavery. 430 years. Think about that. Think about if your family for 430 years, generation after generation was, did one job, and that was your identity, blacksmith or whatever have you, um, but slave. That was all they knew. And so in that identity, they must have been thinking this, I'm a slave. I'm worthless. I'm not my own. But God says in this moment, I've rolled the shame of your slavery off of you. You've probably heard that expression, shame on you. Well, here's the good news. Even though people want to roll shame on us like a boulder in Indiana Jones, even though they want to roll that shame on us like a, like a steamroller that, that makes the, the cement really, uh, sorry, the blacktop really smooth, roll that, that steamroller over us and just let it sit there for like ever, they say, shame on you? Well, God says, no, I've rolled shame on Off of you. I've rolled shame off of you. The reason God had to even say this was because the people believed that they were something that God said they were not. You're no longer slaves. He says, You, that's not who you are. I've freed you. You're out of Egypt. The shame of uncircumcised hearts of an identity found in slavery, all of that, that's done. You're mine and you're free. For you and I, we get trapped into believing that we are something that God says that we are not. We get trapped into believing that our past and our our mistakes and our poor choices, what the decisions, the guilt, connects with who we are. And the only way to heal from shame is to move the focus from what I'm not to who Christ is. The only way to heal is to move from what I'm not to who Christ is. The problem we face is that sometimes we focus on ourselves, much like with offense. It's all about me rather than caring about other people when it comes to offense. Well, in this case, we focus so much on who we are and what we've done, and we blur the lines between the two, We can't hear what God has to say about us. We'll say, I'm bad. Well, if you take a look back at it, yeah, actually you are. (laughs) You're a sinner and so am I. Romans 3.23 tells us as much. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God until you've laid down your sin and let God cleanse you of original sin and been forgiven of it and live a life of holiness yeah, you are. Unless you're completely devoted to him, you are. You might say to yourself, I am an inadequate. I'm inadequate. I'm not enough. Yep, you and I are not enough. We're not designed to do all this ourselves. We need the fellowship of believers. We need each other, most, and most of all, we need Jesus. Paul records this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 in the ESV, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. As long as you and I are focused, as long as you are focused on you, as long as I am focused on me, will never be enough. brings me to this little thing you have there in your bulletin. I've got some examples of it. But just like with dealing with offense, proactively dealing with offense and deciding not to be easily offended, we need to proactively understand that what we've done is not who we are because who we are is determined by Jesus, by what Christ says we are. So if you fill in these blanks mentally or physically, you can write them in. I am not blank because of Christ. I am blank. For example, I am not bad because of Christ. I am forgiven. I am not sick because of Christ. I am healed. I am not broken because of Christ. I am new. I am not disgusting because of Christ. I am loved. It's so easy for us to get into a pit of a pity party, if you will, and say all the other words, bad, sick, broken, disgusting, about ourselves, and ignore the good words that God wants to speak over us. You are forgiven, healed, new, loved. You are mine, chosen, free. There's an expression, and it's been tweaked for repurposing for whoever wants to use it and apply it to their point, but... One of the earliest iterations goes like this. You can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the, the country out of the boy, right? And a lot of people tweet this a little bit to make it their point, but that's one of the earliest ones I could find. In the story of Israel, they spent 430 years knowing nothing but, I'm a slave, Once they're finally physically free, no longer living under the thumb of the Egyptians, no longer making bricks from mud and straw, they still had the mindset that they were slaves. And Pastor Craig, when he presented this message, he put it like this. He said, they were out of slavery, but slavery wasn't out of them. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt wasn't out of them. What's still stuck in your heart and life? What shame needs to be rolled off of you today? Think about it when God has rolled something off of you, that burden. Does it feel good? Like something spiritual or actual, maybe even physical burden that has been lifted off of you. And of course, that goes really well with Joshua 5, 9. Today, I have rolled away the shame of your slavery In Egypt, someone said, shame on you. Today, God says, shame off you. He's rolling it away. You're not what others say you are. Back to Isaiah. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Do not be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth. You are not what you did You are not what you did. You are who Christ says you are. Every time I prepare a message like this, I think about how we might internalize it, how we might use it in our hearts and lives. First one is always, for you and I, how is it affecting our heart and life, right? We're the ones hearing this message. And then I think, how does it affect how I think about somebody else. And so that first one, you can take care of that business yourself. But I, I wanna encourage you also this week to think about someone else who did not hear this message today. You might wanna share it with them. You are not what you did. You are who Christ says you are. Think about that because there's so many people wandering around stuck in their own shame Blurring the lines between action and identity. And they feel like there's no getting out of it either. They've surrendered fully to it. That's who they are. They're always going to be that person. And Christ says, no. Christ says, no, (laughs) you're forgiven, you're healed, you're new, and you're loved. So I want to encourage you this day, take this, internalize this message in your own heart and life for yourself, but think about it as you're praying and caring for other people this week. Think about how this might apply to their life and pray it for them. Pray for an opportunity to share this good news of overcoming shame. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you this day. There is a lot of things that we've done wrong in our lives. Individually and collectively as humankind going all the way back to the garden. And we own that, Lord, today. When we became Christians, we said, you know what? Yeah, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. When we started following you, it was essential to identify that our nature says no. And sometimes, God, even though we have given that all over to you, we still fall back into these patterns of saying, well, we did wrong, therefore we are bad or we're wrong. And, and the thing that we ought to focus on today is not what we did, but who you say we are. We can't get over shame, and we can't defeat shame, and we can't overcome it without identifying who you say that we are today. And I pray that you would help us to hear from you specifically in our own situations what it is that we need to hear about our identity in you. Pray all these things in your name, amen.